This morning's reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to see Cephas and stay with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who, was form, who formerly was persecuted, persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is, we're uh, continuing the, the letter that Paul wrote to the early Galatians. This is a, a place in southern Turkey where it was mostly uh, uh, pagans, uh, what were considered pagans, people that worshipped other gods, people that had different uh, belief systems and all of that stuff. And Paul is in there uh, teaching and uh, spreading the news about Jesus Christ, and they are starting a church. He leaves the church uh, to go start some other things, and while he's gone, some uh, early religious leaders of the time come in, and they tell them that they uh, can be Christian, but they have to um, conform to Judaism first. They have to do, practice all of the things, all the traditions, and they have to be circumcised. So Paul's letter, when he gets word of this, is, has some urgency to it. We know that it has some urgency to it because Paul is kind of known for, in a lot of his letters, he has these kind of almost poetic greetings of uh, salutations to people. And this one he just cuts right to the chase because... Um, he wants to set the record straight right away that the information that the church in Galatia has been receiving is wrong. And so he's trying to not only make the argument of what he has taught them is the correct thing, but he's also making an argument of what authority he has to do it. Because he's also gotten the idea that the people that are coming in and talking to the Galatians are telling them that uh, Paul does not have the authority to, to do this, that he's incorrect, uh, that he follows the disciples and he must have learned something different uh, or, or incorrect. Imagine we are Galatia here. Uh, you are all pagans. You have not heard about Jesus. You don't know anything about. Uh, I come into town. I teach you all about Jesus. I tell you about the, the, the stories and we, we, you, you accept Christ in your heart. And I say, okay, let's, let's start a church. And we start this church, and it's vibrant, and it's, it's going well. Uh, we're having a good time. And then I say, okay, it's time for me to move on and start something else. And while I'm gone, religious leaders from a nearby community and faith communities come in, and they say, this guy that's been teaching you is wrong. Uh, we want to set the record straight. Uh, imagine how confused you might be. And this is very, this is very, very early on in the Christian faith. Uh, they were not even called Christians. You notice in the letter, he refers to going back to the Judeans uh, that have followed Christ. There was not a name for this anymore. There wasn't, there wasn't a, they were not even called, uh, at first they were called the way, and then they were called uh, the Greek term Christians, uh, Christos. But that wasn't a thing now. They were still considered themselves an offshoot, uh, not even an offshoot, a continuation of the Jewish faith. Christ was Jewish. And this was the fulfillment of prophecy. And so this was just a thing. This is, you know, there were, there were uh, Christ-believing Jews and there were non-Christ-believing Jews. 
there, it wasn't a thing until Paul kind of started to say, let's plant this here, let's plant this here. And the disciples that actually walked with Jesus are still walking around, and they're still trying to make heads or tails of this. When Paul says that he goes back to Jerusalem and visits Cephas, he's talking about Peter. Peter is and Cephas, they both mean the rock. That's, that's who uh, uh, he was there. But he's trying to make it very clear that he wasn't there as a student. He was there as a fellow disciple. Acts picks up on the same story here uh, with a little bit more detail for us. It says, when he had come to Jerusalem, this is Paul they're talking about, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Remember, Paul was Saul. Paul was the guy that continued to try to persecute and jail Christians. Uh, whenever people would meet with the idea of following Christ, he was the guy that broke them up. They were terrified of this man, and now suddenly their worst enemy is planting churches in, in southern Turkey. They're in Jerusalem. They're just hearing about this. And so by the time that he makes it to Jerusalem, they're seeing this guy that they recognize as the villain. Not only is he a persecutor, he's, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ones in the Bible that when you see the movies of Jesus and all that stuff, they're the ones in the robes that are giving him a hard time all the time. They're the enemies. They're the villains. And here is the villain coming back and saying, I'm starting churches. It kind of freak you out just a little bit. And so much so that you might actually question his authority a little bit. It goes on and it says, but Barnabas, this is a friend of, of Paul that joined him in his mystery early on, took him, brought him to the apostles and described to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So you got a witness there that's saying, no, this guy is really changed. This is the guy that is really, he, he has actually met Jesus. This is after Jesus ascended and all this kind of stuff, but he's saying, no, the, he, he has sat with Jesus. So he went in, out, and among them in Jerusalem, this is the visiting where he visited uh, Peter and he visited James, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and argued with the Hellenists. This is ancient Greeks. Now, this gives us an idea again of Paul's personality. You know, some people, they come up to you and they say, wouldn't you like to accept Jesus in your heart? You know, that's, that's how I would do it. But Paul would do it like, accept Jesus into your heart and you're, you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, did I shake that up? I'm sorry. <laughs> And so some people, you loved him, or some people, he would upset you a little bit. And so much so that the Greeks, philosophers, they just figured, you know, the best thing to do is just to put this guy out. And so they were trying to kill him, and that's when the brothers and sisters learned of it, and they brought him down to Caesarea and went, took him to Tarsus. They did this to protect him, to save his life. They realized that this guy was legit, that he really was who he was talking about, and they embraced it. They, they, they embraced who he was so much so that they sent him away with their trust and with their backing. Uh, and now, when Paul is starting to do this, there are other sects of people that are saying he is just a student of these guys. He's just learning from the disciples, but he's learned wrong. He's learned wrong. They, the fact that he's telling you that you do not have to be Jewish and all of this kind of stuff, that is wrong. You have to do this. And so Paul is not only feeling like his teachings are being attacked, he feels like his character is being attacked as well. And so he wants to make it clear that when he goes to Jerusalem to visit with the disciples, he's not there going to take a class or to learn from them. He's going there to learn more about them as a colleague, as a friend. The term that he uses when he talks about visiting with Cephas, 
He's actually talking about the Greek term historiai. That is, I'm learning about you. It's not saying that I am taking or learning from you. I'm learning about you. So he's meeting with Peter, and he's learning about who Peter is. Who, who, what makes his mind tick? Kind of like if you and I sat down with coffee, and we would just learn about each other. He's saying, I was there for that, but I wasn't there as a student. I am part of this circle. I'm not uh, a pupil of it. And so when I speak of, I do speak from authority. And so this is the first time in our history of Christianity, really, that the church is getting started, that we start to learn that there are, there are uniqueness, uniqueness about people's calling. Paul felt like he was called to open up the doors to the Gentiles. That frightened a lot of people. In a sense, I know that we use this term sometimes incorrectly, but Paul was maybe the first progressive Christian. Uh, and by doing things that were not of the tradition and things that people questioned. It was not something that they were used to. So in a sense, he was independent, but he was also equal. So he was doing his calling, just so he says that the other disciples had their calling, he has his calling, but under the same authority. He's, his calling came directly from Christ. And so he spends this time trying to dispel all of these rumors and all of these falsehoods to correct the church in Galatia before they just implode amongst themselves in a land of confusion. He tries to set the record straight and say, no, what I am teaching you, what I am telling you that you do not have to be circumcised, you do not have to be Jewish, that you can be part of this Jesus love, what I am telling you comes directly from Jesus. We same thing's happening here. The same thing is happening here. I, I, I just saw in the news the other day, there's more stories about, we, we are, our denomination is Methodist, uh, United Methodist. You, you'll be hearing a lot of stories about, uh, continuing stories, about the schism, the words like schism and split and, and all of that kind of stuff, where uh, churches are leaving the United Methodist Church. And some of the, the news stories talk as if the United Methodist Church in itself is dying because they're, they're, they're uh, losing so much. It's not true. That's just that's this, the way they, they sensationalize it. But there have been splits. There have been people that have been leaving the church. Uh, what it boils down to, and you'll hear more about this because we have a general conference that is coming up, what it boils down to, truthfully, is whether or not we are accepting of people in the LGBTQIA plus communities, whether we are accepting of them. Uh, that is truly the, the meat of the argument. There are those that do, there are those that don't. Now, just like in Galatia, I, I preached a church for uh, three, three years in central Nebraska. I preached the same thing that I preach here. I've never changed because uh, this, is, this, is, this is who I am. Uh, I got a call from a, a long-standing member of that church uh, last, last week, and they, they were very concerned because a group of people 
came in and spoke to them and told them that we as United Methodists were no longer following Jesus, that we did not believe in the birth, that we no longer believed in the Trinity, that we no longer believed in the resurrection, that we were just changing the whole thing, and it frightened them. They didn't care about whether a person was part of an LGBTQIA plus community. What they cared about is the, was the church that they were going to still loving Christ? Was it still a Christian church? And they were confused because people of authority, representing themselves as authority, were telling them that this was happening. And I felt like Paul. When I read the letter to the Galatians, when I read specifically this letter, this is, I felt like this is exactly the same thing that's happening. I was serving this church. I was preaching love. I was preaching Christ's love. I was preaching Christ's openness. I was preaching all of this stuff. They know who Fred Rogers is too. I mean, all of this stuff. Love your neighbor, love yourself, love God, all of this stuff. I've left that church, and now that church is deciding again whether or not they want to leave because they are in a state of chaos, because they have been told things that just simply aren't true. And the thing that they're questioning is, who is right and who has the authority? Same thing. 2,000 years later, we're still doing this. It's almost like, you know, uh, Paul knew when he wrote this letter that it was going to be read by other people on down the road. And it was still being read today. You know, I, I'm just a pastor. I'm just a um, short, bald, fat guy that just felt like he got called by God. The, the, truth, the truth of the nature is, I did not come into this job for the money. <laughs> no, I, I did not come into this job for the vocation. Nothing. I did not want this job when it first got called. I argued it. I spat. You know, you ever had the, one of those just difficult conversations with the Holy Spirit? You know, uh, spoiler alert, you're going to lose that conversation. Today, I'm a pastor, and what I got called for was, to me, a message of love. That's it. Truthfully, I'm not kidding you. Christ said, let them know I love them. That's it. That's your call. Spend your life doing it. And that's why I'm here. That's, that's my authority. That's, that's where my authority comes from. Is, is from, to me, just like Paul, I believe my, my mission here my calling as a pastor comes from Christ. It does not come from classes. It does not come from uh, other, other pastors, even though I have learned so much and I have learned uh, and, I, and I owe so many of them uh, a life debt. My true calling came from God. And that's why I'm here. And that's why we still have this battle going on is because people continue to question this. Let me, faith, faith. I, see, I believe that um, when Christ comes into our lives, Jesus talked a lot about planting seeds, but I believe when Jesus comes into your life, it's more like he's giving you a little plant 
because some of the work has already been done. Like when I first accepted Jesus into my life, it had already felt like something had been there growing. And so I think that when Christ first came into my life, it was like this. It was beautiful. But I didn't know much about it. I'm not really a plant guy, you know. But I knew that like my faith, in order to have this, it was a gift, it was a joy, but it was also a responsibility. I don't know much about plants. I don't know what kind of plant this is. It's real. But I know that if I want to take care of it, I have to do some research. I have to do some looking into. I have to study what this kind of plant is. I hear now it's so easy. I hear there's, there's apps that you can actually take a picture of this plant. It'll tell you what kind it is and how to take care of it. Does it need direct sunlight? Does it need shade? Does it need watered every day? What, is, what kind of food? You know, they always talk about food for plants. I tried feeding it a sandwich. It didn't look interested. <laughs> Maybe because it was a vegan and it came from plants. Cannibalism. I don't know. But <laughs> I know that in order to nurture this and care for it, I have to learn more about it. I have to study it. And I have to live within it for a while. I know that I cannot just set it there and just walk away from it. I cannot ignore this, because if I do, it will die. And I believe that sometimes our faith is very similar to that. I believe that our faith is very much like this. We get this, this gift from Christ. And our job is to enjoy it, to know that it's a gift, but then to see how we can continue to help it grow. And sometimes that's, that's watering. It's learning about it, sunlight. Sometimes as it grows more and more, it's even about, it becomes more important in your life and you give it more of a surrounding. You, you might have to repot this. You might have to add more soil to it. You might have to continue to do things for it. And then one of the beautiful things about it, I've heard about plants, is that when they grow enough, you can actually take parts of this and you can cut it off and you can share it. And then the person that you share it with, they now get to take care of it and it can grow. And before you know it, both of you have these, these really big plants. And the beautiful thing about it is, is that everybody that comes in contact with this plant is welcome to it. I, I've had many people in my life tell me that the, where they see God most is in nature. It's something that we cannot make ourselves, but it's something that is there for us to enjoy. But it is something that we have to take care of. And we have to nurture it and we have to let it grow. And the beautiful thing is, is if you're like me, you're gonna, you might try to let this grow, but then maybe you get some false information. Maybe you get some life expectance things, you get confused and you get taken away from this. Maybe life throws you some curveballs. 
You can't make it to church all the time. You can't make it. There's, there's tragedy in your life. Something happens to where suddenly this starts to just kind of get ignored a little bit and you walk away from it. It's not your intention, but it happens. And then eventually you look back and the plant doesn't look so good anymore. And you, you now feel over your head because you don't know what to do to save that plant. And then before you know it, the, the plant dies. That's what was happening in Galatia to the people that were starting it. And that's what's happening in many congregations right now. People are getting confused by mixed information and stuff, and they're questioning their faith. And, and, and people with... Sometimes the best intentions and sometimes the worst intentions are pulling people away from their faith. And it's dying. Christianity is not dying. But sometimes our personal relationship with Christ suffers. But I believe in miracles. I do believe, I do believe in the virgin birth. I do believe in the resurrection of Christ. I do believe in the Trinity. I do believe that Christ is my Savior. I do believe in what the Gospels tell me. I do believe that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is that relationship that brings me to this point of my ministry now, of saying, open the door and let everybody in. And you know what? If that plant dies, there's going to be another one. Because God has not given up. Never will. Never has. Every one of us, we have this. Every single one of us. You can call it authority. You can call it a calling. You can call it whatever you want. But every one of us has this gift. What do we do with it? I pray that we feed it. I pray that we care for it. I pray that we share it. And the beautiful thing about this is you can share it truly with anybody. There's no rules on this saying you must only give this to a certain kind of person. Just like there's no rules of who gets to sit by a tree. I can go out there and I can give this to the first person that walks by, no matter who they are, no matter what generation they are, no matter what age they are, no matter what gender, no matter what community they come from, no matter what they are. If they're like me, if they're not like me, I can give this to them. And I believe as a Christian, I'm supposed to give this to them. Feed it. Feed it. Nurture it. And then share it. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God,
Sometimes we get so confused in our faith, but let us sit and rest on the one message that is the most important, love. Let us just live in that. When we think about love, everyone wants it, everyone deserves it. Help us celebrate it. Help us celebrate it. Love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.